production. Do you want 2023 to be the year you bring your dreams and desires into reality? As you may know, manifestation has been a big part of my practice for a long time now, and through my research and study, I have developed a manifestation course just for you. This course is broken up into six immersive audio modules with printable worksheets. I cover topics like unlocking your emotions so you can receive what you truly desire, understanding the quantum field and how to connect to it, letting go of control and resistance to set manifestation into motion, and embracing and embodying gratitude in order to bring your dreams and desires into reality. This course covers all my teachings and I feel so honoured to be able to share them with you. Manifest Your Greatness is available for purchase at the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com. Dandapani is a Hindu priest, entrepreneur, international speaker and former monk. He helps people understand and leverage their mind so they can be the best at what they do in order to live a life of purpose and joy. Dandapani teaches us how to integrate the practice of focus into daily life, resulting in improved productivity, relationships, mental health and happiness. This conversation shines a spotlight on harnessing the power of your mind, steps to overcome fear, worry, anxiety and stress, and how focus is possible for everyone once we have the tools and wisdom to employ it. If you look at the mind in a very simplified way, you have your conscious mind, the subconscious and the superconscious. The goal ultimately was to get awareness from the conscious mind to the superconscious. In order for awareness to get from the conscious mind to the superconscious, it needs to bypass the subconscious area of the mind. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Dandapani is the author of many books, including Rituals and his new book, The Power of Unwavering Focus. In its essence, this conversation is about discipline and practice, which allow us to live a self-actualised life of presence, purpose and contentment. My hope is that this discussion provides you with the tools you need to live a life of happiness, fulfilment and focus. Dandapani, let's start at the beginning. How did you become a monk? I joined my guru's monastery that was located in Hawaii. It was a traditional cloistered uh, Hindu monastery. So that's something that I was keen to do for a very long time. And, um, you know, when I met him, I felt that he was the, the right teacher for me. So joined his monastery, went through the training process, and then got formally ordained as a Hindu monastic. And how was your time in the monastery? I liked it. It would be unfair to say that it was all peaceful and blissful. You know, there the are definitely challenges because part of being in the monastery is working on yourself constantly. So you're always going through things. But, you know, you're also discovering the not-so-nice things about yourself and, and the really good things about yourself. But it, it's not a life for everyone. You know? 
it's a life that I could resonate with. It was a Hindu monastery, so you know we subscribe to a very traditional Hindu philosophy. The practices stemmed from the philosophy we subscribe to. So the type of meditation that we did was related to the philosophy and the, what the Western world calls yoga, which is really asana practice posture, was from that breathing exercises. We, we learned a lot about the mind. We, we learned a lot about concentration, which were all fundamental teachings as for a monastic, which is what my, my book, The Power of Unwavering Focus, is based on. It's really about understanding the mind and the and concentration that that was one of the key teachings in the monastery and also not only that but taking how to take that learning and, and implement it into our daily lives as to not just only learning that but making it part of our whole day and our whole routine was a critical part of the practice and tell me what sort of meditation did you do when you're in there the meditation was based on the philosophy in a simplified way. Ultimately, it was about going within and experiencing divinity inside of us. You know, in, in Hindu philosophy, we believe God is in everything. One simplified way of looking at God was pure energy permeating everything inside of you, me, the trees, the stones, everything else. So how do we go within us in meditation in a state of profound concentration and experience the very core of us, which is which is divinity. That was ultimately the goal. Yeah. When you were doing that, how did you feel? I mean, there must have been some trying times in there. If you look at the mind in a very simplified way, you have your conscious mind, the subconscious and the superconscious. The goal ultimately was to get awareness from the conscious mind to the superconscious, which would be you could describe it as your intuitive, creative, spiritual, deeply spiritual area of the mind. In order for awareness to get from the conscious mind to the superconscious, it needs to bypass the subconscious area of the mind. And the subconscious is, is your stylehouse of uh, experiences you've had throughout your entire life. Whether you remember it or not, it gets registered in the subconscious. So most people aren't, are unaware of this, but when you start to meditate, the first thing you encounter is your subconscious. Mm. And that's often a mixed bag of pleasant and unpleasant, quite often a lot of unpleasant because most people really don't deal with their past. They just shove it away and move on. So you run into that and that's never, that's never pleasant. Yeah. Seeing unpleasant things from your past, yeah. And do you feel now after being in the monastery that you – have a state with your eyes open that you can practice patience and resilience in your everyday? I mean, do you get flustered much or annoyed by things? Um, I would say that I would need to keep up with my practices. And when I don't keep up with my practices, then I definitely experience that more. And then there are also times in life when there's just a lot going on and it takes more effort to be to be patient. Yes. Or not to be flustered and depending on the environment you are in. And some places it's easy to get things done and other places it just takes a lot more work and a lot more energy and willpower and time to get things done when fundamentally it doesn't. This yeah. is how that place is. Yeah. I suppose like anything, it's a constant practice. 
you know, I, I find it interesting. People think about enlightenment and they think, oh, once you're there, you're there. But it isn't. We're all human and we all f- yeah. have our things and things get under our skin. We all need to constantly practice what we're learning or what we're teaching as well. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, most people think it's a binary process, you know, uh, enlightenment is a zero one you're not enlightened and then you're enlightened and and that's it yes it, it it's that's not how it works you learn tools you learn teachings you practice you implement them you fail you practice them again you fail and hopefully each time you're learning from your mistakes and and getting better but but there's never a time when you're not practicing. Mm. And I think a lot of people feel that on the spiritual path, you get to a point where you don't need to be practicing. You just be in a state of being, just be. And, and you see this, the quotes on Instagram that just says, just be. And being alone is not enough. Being takes work. Yes. It takes constant, persistent work. You can't just be. You're constantly striving to maintain that state because if you don't then you're just going to start changing to to whatever the next state is that you're going towards and you've obviously done a lot of work with the mind and you mentioned you've got your new book the power of unwavering focus and you say we are not the mind we are pure awareness can you take us through that yeah, no, definitely. More, more than happy to do so. Let me preface by saying that different people teach it different ways. And my guru, the way he taught me this, and, and not only did he teach, but for me to allow me then to go through and experience the mind, there are really two things at the end of the day. There's the mind and then there's awareness. The mind, I, I define as, as in a vast space with many different areas within it. So one area is being anger, jealousy, happiness, food, photography, sex, technology, there's so many different areas of the mind. And then you have awareness. One way you could look at it as a glowing ball of light that could travel within the mind. Tell people that we are pure awareness moving through different areas of the mind. And when your awareness goes to a particular area of the mind, it lights up that area of the mind. You become conscious of that area of the mind. You're only conscious of that area of the mind as long as you're there. And when awareness moves to another area of the mind, then it lights up the next area of the mind. So what we can conclude from this is that the two things is awareness and the mind. The mind doesn't move. It's awareness that moves within the mind. And our goal is ultimately to control where our awareness goes in the mind. And if we don't control it, then our environment, which are the people and things around us, can dictate where awareness goes. So... You see a picture of a politician that you don't like, awareness can go to an upset area of the mind. You see a best friend, awareness goes to a happy area of the mind. And you see World Cup results that you like, awareness goes to a celebratory, celebratory area of the mind. And, and all day, for most people, the environment is dictating where the awareness goes. The goal is to be the master of your own awareness and, and to consciously choose when the mind awareness goes. Mm, That's so interesting. It reminds me of, and I know that you've said this, where awareness goes, energy flows. I always do think about it because if you believe in the idea that we create our reality, then that is a really pertinent quote for that. It makes a lot of sense. Knowing that where awareness goes, energy flows how do you use that to live a life that is fulfilling for yourself? 
Well, with the understanding that whatever I put energy into will start to grow and manifest in my life, regardless of whether it's positive or negative. Mm. So if I know by moving my awareness, I'm moving where my energy is flowing, and if where my energy is flowing determines what's manifesting in my life, then and that's very simple. Be really, really clear what it is you want in life, who and what's important in this move awareness to that so energy flows to that and then that starts to cultivate those things in your life yes and you know that that's why that that sentence encapsulates the teachings of awareness and the mind and energy so well i think a lot of people don't understand how the mind works and don't understand the relationship between awareness and the mind in relation to energy this is something I've been really interested to ask for a while. How come there can be things in your life that you do think about a lot or people do think about them a lot? It might be another person or something that you really desire and you can place so much energy on it, but it doesn't come to fruition. Because energy alone is is not enough. Yeah. There needs to be a process. I think there's so much out there today that, misguides people in saying that to manifest something, put a picture up, have a vision board, focus on it, and it will come. It's uh, That's one part of the equation, but it's not the entire equation. Effort needs to go into it. Mm. The whole mind, the lifestyle needs to adjust to support the mind, to support the flow of energy. Because you can't just slap the picture on the wall and say, I want a three-bedroom house. <laughs> on Bondi Beach, and that's my vision board, and a nice car, a beautiful man or beautiful lady uh, as my partner, and I'm just going to manifest that. And the universe is going to manifest that for me. The universe doesn't give two craps about you. That's the reality of it. And then they take a passive approach of not doing anything else. They don't change their lifestyle. They don't change their behavior. They don't change their values. They don't change the way they act. They think the way they speak. And they hope that everything works. Mm. People don't want to change their lives there. They don't want to change their lifestyle. In Hindu philosophy, there are eight steps to enlightenment. Meditation is further down the path. The first two steps is lifestyle design. And, and this is thousands of years old. And the reason why the first two steps is lifestyle design is because if you don't have the right style, the right lifestyle, you don't have the foundation that supports unfoldment and growth mm. take a company the company doesn't have the right core values the right teams the right mindset the right structure how can it grow take yes. a house you don't have proper foundation the building's not going to stand up house is not going to stand up foundation is key and foundation requires change in lifestyle change in behavior change in our environment not only the place around us the people around us who we live with, who we interact, what we read, what we listen to, what we eat. That requires a lot of sacrifice, giving up old things for new things. People don't want to do that. Mm. Just give me a vision board. Do you have a process that you do or a way of being that allows you to create what you want in your life? I become crystal clear of what it is I want. And I get very, very specific about it. The more clearer you can get with what it is you want, the clearer you get with what it is you don't want. Mm. 
and who it is you don't want in your life. The lack of clarity that allows you then to say yes to everything and everyone in life. And so your energy, instead of being harnessed and funneled in a very specific way to a very specific thing, now is going all over the place. You're hanging out with people that don't really support what you want in life. You're doing things that don't support you. are listening to things that don't support you. You're eating things that don't support to you. You're reading things that don't support where you want to go. But how do you know when you're not specific? So the first step for me in manifesting something is gaining crystal clear clarity of what it is I want mm. and being really, really specific about it. I can say I want to go to Australia. Right? Yeah. I'm in Costa Rica right now. I can say I want to go to Australia. It's like, okay. Some people might say, oh, he has clarity of where he wants to go. I'll say you have no clarity. You know how big Australia is? Yeah. It's massive. Oh, I want to go to Western Australia. Do you know how big Western Australia is? Absolutely massive. But if you tell to me, if you say to me, I want to go to Albany or I want to go to Margaret River in Western Australia, they're like, okay, now you're being really, really specific. That allows you to pave the path to get there. Mm. What do I wear? What do I pack? What do I take with me? What's the journey to get there? But if you're not specific, then you just say, I want to be healthy. Hey, I ate a carrot this morning. Sounds good. You have to get specific in the specificity and the clarity of that allows you then to outline a very clear path to get to that particular point. Yes. Another simple analogy would be say, okay, I want to climb the Himalayas. Himalayas is massive. It ranges across Nepal, India. What particular peak do you want to get to? You say, okay, I want to climb Fishdale. Then now you know what's the path to get there. And I think people aren't specific, so therefore they don't know the path. And once you don't know the path, how do you know what the right next step to take? Yes. You don't. Yeah. The goal defines the path. The path defines the steps. How do you best suggest that people do focus in their everyday or do focus to achieve the things that they want to create in their life? That desire to live a focused life. And the desire to live a focused life needs to come as a byproduct of an impetus. What is the reason you want to live a focused life? Mm. To live a focused life because you feel distracted and you feel all over the place, which I've heard many people say to me, like, oh, Tom Pani, I feel like I'm all over the place I, I could use with a little bit of focus. You'll never learn to focus because that's not enough of a desire to live a focused life. You'll pick up the book, you'll read it. Three pages later, you'll be distracted. You put the book down and then move on with your life. Yeah. There needs to be a greater reason. And for me, as I mentioned in the book, the greatest reason for leading a focused life is because you're going to die one day. You have one life. And you have a clock that's ticking away with your name on it. You just don't know how many hours, days, minutes, seconds you have left on that clock. And with that time that you have on this planet, what do you wish to do with it? If you're distracted, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your life, we're wasting your energy. If you're focused, you can leverage that precious time that you have and make the most out of this life that you have. You don't get a second shot at this. I don't care who you are, what connections you have. That's it. That clock it runs out. What do you think about being focused allows you to have a more fulfilled life? 
Well, focus needs to come along with clarity of purpose, right? I had somebody once ask me, you know, Dandapani, can you teach me how to focus? And I said, yes, I can. And then I asked him, once you learn to focus, what will you focus on? And he says, I have absolutely no idea. So, you know, clarity of purpose. What is it? What is it? Do you, what, what do you want in life? And once you know that, along with the ability to focus, but I always say focus comes first because if you can't focus, you can't be in a state of self-reflection long enough to actually look within and discover what it is you want. Just say, I don't know what it is I want in life, Sarah. So I sit down and I want to reflect within and discover within me what it is I want. So I sit down to reflect and I'm reflecting like, what makes you happy, Dr. Bonnie? What wakes you up in the morning and drives you? Wonder what am I? Do we have pizza for dinner tonight? I haven't had pizza in a while. Yeah, pizza. Should really try that in the Thai food, the Thai restaurant open up down the street. I had that's amazing ratings. My friends went there last week. I should have Thai food. Oh, that's right. I was reflecting about my life. Where was I? Oh, look at that bird. Oh, it's really unusual. I've seen that bird before. <laughs> so if you can't focus, how can you reflect long enough to actually know what you want? Yeah. That's why I start with focus, not with life's purpose or, you know, the meaning of life and who and what's important in your life. Sure, people can't stay focused for longer than seven seconds. Yes. It's, it's shocking. If you want to just focus in your everyday are there tools that you can use to just go from one task to the next? It could even be around the house doing different things. And I know that people get very distracted by the TV might be on, their phone might be, the kids might be making noise and the next thing they've forgotten what they were even doing. So even then doing those monotonous tasks, is there a way that we can be more focused? Yeah, just do one thing at a time. Keep awareness on one thing at a time. Yeah. If the TV is distracting you, I have an amazing monk practice that you can do. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, I'd love to. Turn the TV off. <laughs> amazing, huh? Yeah. Put the phone on silent. You know, it's, it's, we allow our environment to distract us by welcoming all these things into our life. It's not hard. I was in Dubai a few days ago at an event and someone says like, my family's so distracted. We're trying to have dinner together. We started to have dinner together as a family because I felt that the dad was saying this to me. I felt that we just needed some time together as a family, but my family's constantly picking up the phone during dinner. Wow, do I need to spell it out? Can you put the phone away? Mm. Then you've got nothing to pick up except the fork or the spoon or the knife. Put the phone away. Yeah. Pick a box, put a drawer, shove the phone in there, put it on silent while you have dinner for 20 minutes or half an hour. People don't want it badly enough, Sarah. That's the end of the day. That's the bottom line. Yeah. They, they don't desire it badly enough. I want to enjoy the time I have with my loved ones, be it my family, be it my friends, my relatives. When I'm sitting down with one of my closest friends, I want to experience him, what he has to say, his presence, his energy, his conversations, his thoughts, the things he doesn't say to me. I want to experience all of it. 
as a result, I want to live a focused life. When I sit with my daughter, I want to experience her fully. I want to experience the things that she's feeling that she may not share with me, that I can intuit and observe. I can only do that because I'm focused. Mm. When I'm building my botanical garden here in Costa Rica, I want to enjoy planting the trees. I want to enjoy landscaping. But I can only do that if I can keep my awareness engaged with what I'm doing. All of that drives me to live a focused life, to make the choices that a lot of people don't want to make. At the end of my life, I can look back and say, wow, I was engaged in all the things I were doing and the people I was interacting with. That leads to fulfilling life. Yeah. A fulfilling life is a content life, a happy life, a joyous life. That doesn't mean I don't have ups and downs. I don't struggle. I don't feel frustrated. I don't get upset. I do, but the majority of my day is rich in engagement mm. with the things and people that I love. If there is something very fulfilling about even just spending time with someone and being totally with them and listening to them and them doing the same in return to you and not being distracted yeah. by anything that's around you and walking away and thinking, God, that was such a nice conversation. And I really felt like we were able to connect. And how many people can do that without the phone sitting on the table? Yeah. There's usually two people sitting at the table, two glasses of wine and then two phones having a conversation with each other as well. Yeah. You know, why is it so hard to put the phone away and just be completely present and just say like, yeah, I'm with you. At this moment, for the next half an hour, the next one hour, nothing else matters. No one else matters. I am completely with you. You have my undivided attention. How wonderful does that feel? Mm. What a way to tell someone I love you. What a way to tell someone I value your time on this planet. I don't know how much time you have left, but I know it's finite and you've chosen to give me an hour of your time as a way of showing gratitude. You have my complete presence. It is such an interesting thing. When I was doing research for this interview, I was reflecting on my own life and I was thinking about how I do the task of feeding my dog twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And because it's the same thing every time, there are so many occasions where I forget if I fed her. <laughs> and I think, did I feed her? I can't remember. Uh, she, uh, I bet you she hopes she wishes you, you forgot. <laughs> well, there's been occasions where we fed her twice. And sometimes I even have to go and smell her mouth to think, have I fed her or not? I cannot remember if I fed her. And she always acts like she hasn't been fed. So it's hard to tell. Right. But the whole idea is the fact that I can't remember because I'm not paying attention every time I go feed her. To me, it's just getting the dried food, putting it in her thing and then walking away. And because I do it so often and I don't get so much enjoyment out of it, it's not something that I clearly focus on. But at the same time, it's not good that I don't remember if I fed her. So... I was thinking about that quite a bit because that's the one that stands out to me a lot. And ever since I was planning this interview, I've really been taking focus of when I go feed her, thinking about it, not thinking about doing something on the podcast or my writing or whatever I'm doing. I'm actually paying attention. So I then don't think an hour later, did I feed her? It's really interesting once you're actually conscious of your actions, 
how you make better choices? I'm no dog expert. <laughs> I don't know much about dogs. I love dogs. But I would go as far as saying the dog probably can tell if you're present or not. Because going back to my guru's statement, where awareness goes, energy flows. Yes. If your awareness is on your dog, your energy is flowing towards your dog. Your dog feels the energy coming towards it and therefore feels your presence. Physically, obviously, you're present. But energetically, mentally, you could be completely absent. You could be opening that can of dog food, chucking it in the bowl. Your awareness engaged with whatever else is going on in your life, and then you walk away. And the dog goes like, yeah, I saw you physically there, but you were, no one was home. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's why that statement where awareness goes, energy flows is, you know, for me, such a really profound statement because it really tells you that when your awareness is on something or someone, that's where your energy is flowing and that person or thing can feel your energy. With our kids, I mean, you mentioned that you've got a daughter. How old's your daughter? Four. How do you create an environment where you're teaching her how to focus? By by being focused myself. That's yes. the only way I can teach her. So I don't multitask with her. If for some reason I need to be on the phone, I tell her. If I I need to send a text, I let her know if she interrupts me while I'm texting, I tell her that I need to finish the text and then I'll shift my awareness to her. So I teach her about awareness in the mind and how awareness in the mind works. That's the critical thing to teach your child. And then teach her the art of doing one thing at a time. And she's very good at doing one thing at a time. And she will say, we need to do one thing at a time. Yesterday, I told her to bring two of her toys and put, pick up two of her toys and put it away. She looked at me and said, one thing at a time. I said, can you pick up that toy and then pick up that toy and put it away? She looked at me and said, one thing at a time. Oh, you've taught her well. <laughs> Which is great because now she knows. Yes. She knows to do one thing at a time. And the act of doing one thing at a time is the cure for worry, for fear, for anxiety, for stress. And, and people don't realize that. Let's talk about that because that's interesting. Obviously, anxiety is the worry of the future and depression is a lot of the time a result of the past. Mm-hmm. Say something's bothering you or you've got something that's coming up that you're anxious about and you're trying to concentrate on something and then those thoughts keep coming into your mind about something that you're worried about, how do you best control them or suggest that people do? By learning about awareness in the mind. And I I specifically talk about this in in the book and, and give some examples about fear and worry. Fear and worry is when awareness leaves the present, goes into the future in your mind, creates something in your mind that has not happened, returns back to the present and starts worrying about what you just created in your head, which hasn't happened yet. And exactly like you said, it's an impending event, something that you think is going to occur. I'm going to miss my flight. Well, have you missed your flight yet? No. So you worry about that. And then awareness keeps going back to that future that you've created in your mind, that experience in your mind. 
over and over again. And that repetition is, is what worry and fear is. Worry and fear is future-based. When you can control awareness, you can overcome fear and worry. Mm. Because every time you see awareness doing that, you bring awareness back and say, I'm not going to create stories in my head of things that haven't happened. Yes. You can assume that that might happen, and that's okay to say, you know, I give an example in the book where I'm creating a restaurant. And I'm building a restaurant, and it's going to take me six, seven months to build it, but I let my awareness go into the future. I see the restaurant a year from now on a busy Friday night. There's 200 people in there. A fire breaks out in the kitchen. Now I've created an experience in the future that hasn't happened. That's problematic. I come back to the present, and instead of letting awareness go into the future, engage with the problem, go like, oh, my God, there's a fire. What do people get burned to death? I get sued. I lose my business. No, I come back to the present and think, okay, how can I solve for that? I consult with a company that deals with putting out fires or fire extinguishers or whatever, you know, mm. and find a solution for it. But allowing myself now to repeatedly go to that potential problem in the future over and over again, that's what worry is. Solving that problem is not worry. Well, most people do is they don't solve it or find help solving it. They just repeatedly go back like, oh, my God, there's going to be a fire in my restaurant one day. Oh, my God, there's going to be a fire. What if it's a really big fire? What if it burns my dog and my dog dies as well? What if it happens on the one night I take my dog to the restaurant? And that's what worries. And then it's a compounding effect. Every time awareness goes into the future, thinks about it, you're just building and building and building. And eventually that leads to anxiety. And then now all of a sudden you're stressing out about fire breaking out in your restaurant. And and guess what? You haven't even built the damn restaurant yet. Mm. And it's just all in your head because you can't control awareness in the mind. Mm. It's such an important thing to be able to master and that's why your book is obviously very much needed. What is the best advice that you have ever been given? I I would say learning to master awareness in the mind. I think that's probably the greatest thing that my my guru taught me because it is the most freeing thing most of our problems are in our head. Mm. For most people, the ones at least listening to this podcast, you're probably living in a home. You probably have food on your table. You probably have a smartphone that you're listening to. You have internet connection. You have water. You have All your problems are in your head. Oh, this is going to happen, or oh, that's going to happen, and this, and what about that, and what about this? We, we have the most powerful tool in the world, yet no instruction on how it works and how to use it and leverage it. You know, him teaching me about awareness in the mind, and we're not the mind, rather we're awareness moving around the mind, and the ability on how to control where awareness goes in the mind is, oh my gosh. I would, now I know that, I just have to practice it over and over and over again until I gain mastery. But if I didn't know that, I would just struggle. Mm. I would be feeling anxiety and stress and worry and all kinds of things all the time. How do you practice? Just bring yourself back, bring yourself back. Exactly like you said. Mm. 
every time awareness drifts away, bring it back. But you need to understand first the mechanics of awareness in the mind, right? You need to understand the mind doesn't want that's awareness that's moving around in the in the mind. So just say you go home and tomorrow you're sitting down and you go like, oh my gosh, uh, I have to record another podcast tomorrow. I hope there's no issue with the studio. Now awareness is going in the future, creating something in your mind, doing that and just bring it back and say, okay, what can I do to resolve this? Can I call somebody? Can they check in advance? Can they do this? Can they do that? Bring awareness back. You go out for lunch or dinner with a friend, you're sitting with a friend, you ask them a question, they start telling you something, you find your awareness drifting away, starting to think about, I don't know, something that happened earlier today. Did I feed my dog? I'm not going to be back for another three hours. Look, full of things going to be hungry. Bring awareness back. Rinse and repeat a thousand times, 10,000 times, 20,000 times until mastery is gained. At least it's something everyone has the ability to do and it doesn't cost money. It's free. Exactly. They don't have to leave their their living room, which is very accessible. Very accessible. You can teach children that. First, gain clarity of what it is you want to focus on. Second, bring awareness back. Hold it. Lives away, bring it back. The more you practice this, the better you become. In the book, I talk about the law of practice. Whatever it is you practice is what you become really Mm. good at. Every day you talk to people. You know, you're not a hermit. So every time you talk to someone, give them your undivided attention, practice keeping awareness on them. Next time you go out for lunch, for dinner, you're sitting with a friend, with a loved one. What a great opportunity to practice controlling awareness in the mind. Yeah, Life becomes so much richer, so much more fulfilling when, when you can be present in every engagement in your life. And to be present, you need to understand awareness in the mind and you need to learn to concentrate. Mm. Telling someone to be present doesn't work. The presence, to be present, is a byproduct of being concentrated. If you can't concentrate, you can't be present. So it's erroneous to tell someone, be present. To even tell someone to be mindful is erroneous. Mindfulness is not something you practice. You practice concentration, mindfulness is a byproduct of a state of concentration. When I can focus on you, Sarah, and keep my awareness on you, I can be mindful of you, of our conversation. I can be observant of what you're wearing, how you're feeling, your body language, everything. None of those things come without concentration. You practice concentration, everything else, all those things are a byproduct. Do you have a favorite prayer or saying or mantra? In terms of a saying, there's two that my guru, two of my gurus that I love very much that I always share at my events and stuff. One is, one is proceed with confidence. I love that, proceed with confidence. And you can proceed with confidence once you know how awareness in the mind works. And once you know that you can control awareness, you can control where energy is flowing. And once you can control where energy is flowing, you can control what's manifesting in your life. Now you can proceed with confidence. And then the other saying that he had is life is meant to be lived joyously. And I think that's a good reminder for everyone, myself included, that life is meant to be lived joyously. And and if it's not joyous, and obviously you can't be joyous 24 hours of the day, you must be on crack or something. The majority of your day can be joyous because you will run into frustrations. You will run, we are, like you said at the very start, we are humans. The only way we grow is by going through hurdles and challenges. 
And um, so then those, while we're going through those hurdles and challenges, life is not joyous, but we can design a lifestyle where the majority of the life is, is joyous and happy and content. So life is meant to be joyous and, and it's good to evaluate life regularly to see if, if it's resulting in that. If it's not, then we, we make adjustments as we go along. What is a life of greatness to you? Living a life that's in alignment with your purpose. Mm. Living a purpose-focused life. That would be a great life because a great life doesn't have to be a life that you're doing something to change the world or to build something great or do something great. It's, it's having crystal clear clarity of your purpose of why you're here on this planet and living a life that's focused on that, a purpose-focused life. That would be a great life. Mm. Most people don't have that. Thank you so much for the conversation today. I appreciate it immensely. You're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me and having me here. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg, audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free.